of God. And so I decided that I would jump off the deck of our house. And I told God that if he existed, he should make me fly to prove himself. So after I twisted my ankle doing that, I decided that maybe I had made the experiment too difficult for God. So I would help him out and I would try throwing something in the air that was lighter than me. So I threw a towel in the air and I said, Lord, if you're there, make it fly. It did not. So then I thought, hmm, well, let's lower the bar one more time. And I tried a piece of paper. It kind of floated, but it did not defy gravity. And I remember not knowing what to do with my little experiment after about a half hour of trying to get things to fly. On the one hand, I didn't want to not believe in God. That didn't seem like a good thing to do. But I couldn't see him. And I had no proof that he existed. And it was one of the first times in my life I remember thinking, maybe there is no God because I can't see him. We live in a culture that says that seeing is believing. If you can see it, it must be real. And if you can't see it, then it must not exist. And that has been the reigning epistemology in our culture since the 18th century. Epistemology is just a fancy word for how you know what you know. And it has been a very helpful worldview when it comes to things like science and technology and medicine. But it has its limits. Because there are all kinds of things that we can see that don't really exist, like a mirage. And there are all kinds of things that we can't see that really do exist, like ultraviolet light and love. In 1491, Europeans could not see nor could they prove the existence of America. It didn't mean it didn't exist. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there. So the idea that seeing is believing is helpful in some areas, but it has its limits, especially when it comes to understanding God. Because you see, God's epistemology is the exact reverse. With God, it is not that seeing is believing. With God, believing is seeing. I want to read you a very brief story out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there... Two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do for you this thing? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Now, these blind men in the New Testament form a distinct contrast to the spies that Moses sends into the land of Canaan that we read about in the Old Testament. Those spies come back and they say, we can't go in there. There are giants in that land. It's too big. We can't possibly do it. It's impossible. Even though in verse one, God promises to give them the land. They do not believe. And so they do not see the power of God. But these blind men are the opposite. Jesus asked them, do you believe that I can do this? And they say, yes. And so they see. And their sight is restored physically. But this is also meant to be a spiritual metaphor for us. Believing is seeing. It's when we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he can do what he has promised to do. When we act on that belief, that's when we see him. And this is a paradigm that runs all throughout Scripture. In Scripture, people are only healed after they have the faith to ask Jesus for it. Almost every act, moment of seeing God is preceded by some act of faith. Peter 
doesn't walk on the water till he has the faith, till he believes Jesus and gets out of the boat. In the Christmas story we celebrate this week, Mary believes God's promises and nine months later not only gets to see God, but hold him in her arms. And Joseph has even less to go on, just a promise in a dream, but he believes it. And so he sees God show up in a stable in Bethlehem. When we believe God, then we see him. Now, before I go on, I just want to throw out one caveat. I'm not saying that if only we had more faith, if only we believed, then we'd see all kinds of miracles and our lives would just be hunky-dory and everything would be perfect. That is not the kind of name-it-claim-it theology I'm talking about. I have a friend who told me a, a terrible story about being in a small group in a church. And the leader of that small group, there was a woman in that group that, that was in a wheelchair. And the leader said to them, if only we had more faith, we could make this woman walk. So they prayed for her and then encouraged her to get out of the wheelchair. And it didn't work. And it was just it was sort of embarrassing and awkward for everyone. That is not what I'm talking about when I say if only we believed we would see God more. That wasn't believing God. That was telling God what to do. That was trying to coerce God into, into getting that God to follow their agenda. That's not faith, that's demand. Faith would have been saying to God, Lord, what is it you want to do in this situation? What is the promise you have for us in this situation? Show us and we'll follow you. The kind of believing I'm talking about is not issuing demands to God, but it's standing firm on the promises that God has clearly given us in Scripture. Things like... In all circumstances, he will be with us. He may not get you out of the wheelchair. He may not heal you. Sometimes he does. But in all circumstances, he will be with us. In all things, he will work for good. That's a promise God has given us. That's what the cross shows us. This horrible event, God turns it around and uses it to redeem us and reconcile us to him. And then raises Jesus three days later. God has promised to work in all things for good. If we stand on that promise, if we act on that promise, we'll see him. God has promised that if we turn to Jesus as the forgiver of our sins, we will be released from the guilt and shame that we carry. He's promised that when we obey him and follow his rules for whole living, our lives will be richer. He's promised that we have a higher purpose in life than just making money and buying things. And that when we serve him, when we serve the poor, when we reach out to people in pain, when we tell people who don't know Jesus that they are loved by God, when we do that, we see him, we experience him at a deeper level. Faith is believing that those promises are true and not just believing it. And here's the important part. Acting as if they're true. Belief isn't just intellectual assent to something. I can believe that the chair will hold me up. I don't have faith that the chair will hold me up until I sit in it. Faith is when we put the promises of God to the test, when we stand on them and act on them. I don't know about you, but many times in my life I will ask this question. If God is so real, well, then where is he? Why don't I see him? I don't see him because like the spies who won't go into the land of Canaan, I do not believe enough. I do not trust enough. I do not act on the promises of God. And so I don't see him. But when I do act on the promises of God, take him at his word, he shows up. I have a friend named Gary Haugen, who was a lawyer in Washington, D.C., and one couple of months time in his life, he was reading through Scripture, and he noticed over and over again, God calls us to care for people who are suffering injustice, who are oppressed. And God promises that when we do that, we will see him show up in some pretty dramatic ways. 
So he asked himself this question. What if I really believed this promise of God? And what if I believed it so much that I acted on it? So he formed a group called the International Justice Mission. And what they do is they go into the developing world and rescue people who have been falsely imprisoned or get kids out of bonded slavery. But when he started this thing, there was just one employee, him. And the first case that was brought to his attention by some friends of his who were missionaries in the Philippines was of a rapist that was terrifying a a poor neighborhood in Manila. And the cops hadn't done anything about it because it was a poor neighborhood and they, they didn't care. Well, at this point, my friend is just one man. What what can he do? But he believes that when we step out in faith to serve him, God empowers our efforts. So what he does is he prints himself up some fancy letterhead. And it says International Justice Mission. And he invents a little seal to put on the letterhead. And it looks really tough. It means nothing, but it looks tough. And he sends this strongly worded letter to the chief of police in Manila. It says, I don't like what you're doing. Take care of this. Well, a few days later, it's just one guy. A few days later, he gets a fax back from Manila, and it's the headline of the Manila paper. And it says, rapist caught in Manila slums owing to American inquiries. (laughs) It was just one guy. He just wrote one letter on fancy letterhead, of course, with the seal. It was probably the seal that did it. And not only did they catch the rapist. But it made headlines because, you know, arrests in major cities always make headline news, right? And not only did it make headline news, but they linked it to an American because people in the developing world are always thrilled to give Americans credit for things. It's just this astonishing miracle, or as a bare minimum, at least it's a great coincidence. He had faith. He believed. And so he saw the power of God. As I step into this role as senior pastor of this church, I have to be honest with you. I have had moments where I have felt and acted more like the spies who wouldn't go into the land of Canaan than like the blind man. You know, where they come back and say, it's full of giants, we can't go in, it's scary, no. I've had some of those feelings. And it's just, it's just good that we get this out of the way. You just need to know this about me right now. I am a bit of a worrier. From time to time, I can worry which is kind of frustrating because my wife doesn't. In fact, my wife is constitutionally incapable of worry. (laughs) Me, it's my spiritual gift. (laughs) So as I come to this job, I have had a few worried thoughts like, gosh, I'm following two superstars. I don't know how you run a church better than Dick Leon and Walter Ray have run this church. And I'm receiving this amazing, vibrant, dynamic congregation, and in my darker times, all I can think of is, just don't mess it up. (laughs) There's vision for you. And as I'm sure you've noticed, I'm just a tad young to have a job like this. In fact, I've been joking with people all week that when I step into the pulpit, I'm afraid some of you will be saying, where's the senior pastor? Why is his son here? Be sick. I'm grateful at least that I have this receding hairline. (laughs) Words I never thought I would utter. Just shows you that God can use all things for good. Now, in the face of all of that, it would be easy for me to say, like the spies in numbers, 
to say the land is full of giants. I can't go in there. I'm a grasshopper. This is not going to work. Let's just call it a day, Lord. But here's a promise that God has made. He does not call us to that which he will not equip us for. And he has called me here and he has called all of us together to touch the east side with the love and grace of Jesus Christ and the God who has promised that and the God who has been faithful to this church all these years and the God who has been faithful to me all of these years. He will be good to his word and I'm going to take him up on it and I'm going to act as though God were real and his promises were true. And I'm going to ask you to do the same. Because when we do, we see him. Believing is seeing. And you don't even have to have a lot of faith. You can have just a little bit. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus says this great thing. He says, even if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, if it's that small, you will see the power of God. I have a friend whose name is Renee Bondi. And one night, right after she had gotten engaged to be married... In a tragic accident, she rolled out of bed in the middle of her sleep and broke her neck and became a quadriplegic. It is just this horrible, dark story. It's a senseless, random. And she was a singer and she was told that she'd never sing again. And and it seemed to her that her life was over. But she had a little bit of faith, not a lot, a mustard seed of faith. That if God had left her alive, he had something he wanted to do with her. And that her life was not over and that God works even in the darkest moments for good. And she took that promise and she acted on it. And after a few years of therapy, she was able to sing again. And her fiancé married her and they have this beautiful little boy, a little six-year-old boy. And she has a nationwide ministry where she goes around to churches and she sings and she tells people that God is good. And she's got the biggest smile you have ever seen. She's one of the most honest people I know. She'll look at you and she'll say, being in a wheelchair is not a good thing. It's terrible. But she also says that God has met me here. And I have a closeness and an intimacy with him that most people don't have. And it's true. She has a closeness with God that I've never experienced. And she'll also say that God has used it for good things. A couple of years ago, I was talking to her and she said, you know, if I weren't in this chair, nobody would listen to me. She said, you know, before the accident, I was kind of a shallow, fun-loving party kind of gal. And this accident has deepened me. And she said, I don't have that great of a singing voice and I'm not very theologically sophisticated, but I'm in this chair. And that gives me authority. And it's true. When she looks you in the eyes and says, God is good. You have to believe her. Because she's earned the right to say it. That's faith. Not holding God accountable to promises he's never made. But believing in the promises he has made and acting as if they were true. What are the giants that you face in your personal life this Christmas? Health problems? A troubled marriage? Kids that are breaking your heart? A job that leaves you empty? No job at all? What would happen if you acted as though God's promises are true, that he will deliver you from those things, that he will use those things for good in your life? And what would happen if we as a community and as a church acted as though God were real? And his promises were true, acted on the promise that when we serve the poor, we meet him in a deeper way. What if we acted on the promise that God has more in store for us than punching a clock or making money or buying consumer goods? You'll hear me say this over and over again. John Stott says that the three deepest longings of the human heart are for transcendence, significance and community. 
But all too often what we end up with is fear, envy, and loneliness. What would happen if as a church we acted on the promise that Jesus came to give us the abundant life and gave our lives away in loving each other and loving the world around us and in the process proved that life can be filled with significance, transcendence, and community? What would happen? What would happen if we really trusted the promise that we are loved and we are valued not because of the prestige of our job or the size of our house or the degrees that we have, but because of the truth we celebrate this week that the God of the universe came in human form in the person of Jesus Christ to find us, to seek us, and to reclaim us for himself? And what if we didn't just say that, but what if we believed it? What if we acted on it and experienced the release from guilt and shame that comes with that promise? And what if we reached out to people who do not know who Jesus is and let them know in deeds more than words how wide, how high, how long, how deep, how powerful is the love Jesus Christ has for them and that they can stop all their frantic striving to prove their worth through work or money or accomplishments and rest in their Savior's arms? What if we acted as though those promises were true? What would become of all those giants that seem so intimidating in your life and in our corporate life together. In the Old Testament, when David, who at the time was just a boy, notices that all the soldiers in Israel are quaking in their boots at the giant Goliath, he says to them, why are you so afraid? Who is this unholy Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? To paraphrase David, what are health problems or financial crises? What are marriage troubles or family feuds? What are dead-end jobs or feelings of guilt and despair and unworthiness? What is poverty in King County or oppression? What is spiritual emptiness because people don't know that Jesus loves them? What are any of those things to defy the power of the living God? And what happens if we as individuals and we as a church act as if the promises of God are true until all of King County knows that there's a God alive in our midst and in this church. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Let's take God at his word so we can see him. Lord Jesus, thank you that when we step out in faith, you meet us. Lord, help us this week to take you at your word, to follow you, to serve you, to obey you, and tell others about you so that we can see you and so that the whole world knows that you are Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.